Good morning. Welcome to church here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, January the 10th. Hope you're all doing well today and Happy New Year. I know you guys were here for after New Year worship last week, but I wasn't. Um, couple reminders. The flower calendar is out in the back. Um, so if you'd like to have flowers up in honor um, or memory of someone, please stop by to fill in a spot. They are uh, $20 for the week. Might check out on the back of that page, we have the uh, reminders of annual conference and district conference coming up this summer. District conference, of course, is happening here, and I'm guessing we still are going to be needing volunteers. I'm getting big thumbs up, volunteers, to help uh, with, an, with district conference here. We are not holding annual conference. That will be down in Greensboro, North Carolina. It'll be a little too big even for our church. And that will be June the 30th through July the 4th. All right. Another, this is both a joy and an announcement. If you want to check out in your announcement section, there's a note from Kevin and Lauren Bolding. Just a big thank you for all the prayers and asking for continued prayers on the, the birth of their daughter, Emmeline Mary Eloise Bolling, who was born eight weeks early. Last I, I checked in with, with uh, Grandma and Grandpa and, and Aunt that she is doing very well. Emmeline is still in the hospital. Lauren is going home at night and continuing to recover from the C-section, but she's able to spend all day with Emmeline in the hospital. And, and Father Kevin is back at work, but he is spending any free time he has with Emmeline as well. Emmeline's doing well. She's not on any breathing, and she is eating now, or taking a bottle now, which is another big developmental step and just a wonderful thing to hear. I'm gonna, hopefully this will be the last time I mention this because I'm, I'm enjoying this, but I find it a little embarrassing to talk about a project that I've undertaken for myself. There, I put out for anyone who wishes to join me on trying to read the entire Bible in one year in even bits. So I'm reading 85 verses every single day, except for once in a while I have to read 86 because there's, it breaks down to 85.2 verses to read every day to get through the entire Bible in 365 days. I am also, if you're interested on Facebook, and then I've included in emails, we might include some of these in newsletters, I'm writing a short summary of every one up. It's been an interesting process to try and read the Bible and summarize it it's that tightly. Um, and you are all welcome to join me. I highly recommend. It's, it's quite interesting to force yourself to summarize um, these sections, trying to pull out what's important and to keep the story moving forward. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, today was day nine, if I recall what I, because I wrote this yesterday and had it automatic put up, that it's, it's now up to the, uh, the birth of Isaac and Esau. And that's how quickly the Genesis moves along. Are there any joys or concerns you wish to share today with the group? Prayers for Terry's brother, Ron, uh, who was um, admitted to the emergency room, um, the hospital, I'm guessing, with uh, pneumonia from COVID-19. 
wonderful. Uh, Bernina's friend who was traveling from California to New Hampshire in the winter has safely made it up to New Hampshire. They were unable, she said, to move in right away because the family was still moving out, but they have started the process now, it sounds. Please keep Jean Garcia in your prayers. She thought earlier in the week that she may have COVID-19. She got one of those quick tests which came out negative, but then went for one of the, the nasal swab, the more accurate test, and it did come back positive. When I last heard from her, you haven't heard more recently, no. Uh, when I last heard from her uh, Friday evening, she is having some breathing difficulties, but at this point, they haven't gotten worse, so she's not planning to go to the hospital at this point. Uh, but that may change. Prayers for our Becky's sister, Robin, who found out that she has breast cancer, but it's at this point, it's very small and hopefully something that will be taken care of fairly easily. Year-end giving statements are in your mailboxes. If you are at home and you like your copy sent to you, please call, email Rebecca Eby here at the church. Uh, let her know that you want it sent. If there is anything that you don't think it's correctly reflected in that statement, reach out to Sister Dawn through text or call. She won't pick up her phone. She'll let you know while she is at work. So leave messages or text. Uh, let her know so that she can look at it over and, and do corrections as needed. If you will join us then as we prepare our hearts for worship.
you'll pray with me. Creator God, we thank you for this sunny day, for this bright day in reminding us of a new promise, of a new year. As the days lengthen, the earth warms. We ask you to renew us, to make us your children, to make us into better children. We ask you to hone us. We lift up this day our brothers and sisters in need of healing and presence. For Jean and Ron and all those who are fighting COVID-19. For Robin. We thank you for those who are having new beginnings, for Emmeline, for those starting new lives in new places. We ask for your presence and your guidance. We ask that we can celebrate with them. We thank you. We ask that we can hold on to that thanks, to hold on to that joy, to hold on to that comfort as we go through life in days that don't always seem to have a lot of joy or a lot of comfort in them, knowing that you are there. We just have to reach out and touch you. We, we thank you, God. Amen. The reading today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 8. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all of your duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. Blessed is the word on that. I am sure that if I were to go into your kitchens and I were to open up drawers or look into jars or even hanging from hooks, I would see lots of different tools hanging around. I can tell you that during a busy kitchen service, there are two highly important tools in a kitchen. The first is the dish towel, which is usually worn as such. And the second are these, tongs. Because let's face it, these are the two things that keep you from being burnt all of service. But kitchens are full of lots of different kinds of tools. You know, some are single use, like potato mashers. Let's face it, they do one thing really well and nothing else, and they're hard to clean. I hate dried potato mashers. But of course, of all the different tools in your kitchen, there's one that seems to be held up in the highest esteem, the knife. I mean, think about it. If you ever watch a cooking show, what's the emblem behind it? It's a knife. There's lots of different kinds, and you use the right knife for the right uh, time. You know, you got your cleaver. Cleavers are excellent for getting through sinew, bone, heavy chops. You have your bread knife that gets through crusty bread without crushing it, which is important. The extraordinarily useful paring knife. It's the one that, you know, does all the delicate work. And I forgot it, of course, but all important, the vegetable peeler. Because let's face it, doing a lot of vegetable peeling without a peeler is hard, and you end up cutting yourself inevitably. But there's one tool, one tool, one knife that seems to reign supreme in the minds of everyone. That's, of course, the chef's knife. As you can see, I still keep in my nice box for it. It's the all-purpose knife. Triangular in shape, it's easy for chopping and slicing, a nice sharp tip for piercing through things. You can chop, you can cut, and in a pinch, you can pop open a stubborn jar with it quickly. If you have that knife and a vegetable peeler and a bread knife, you're pretty much good for the most part. Now, when I started working in a nice kitchen, I became a little jealous. I mean, I, I understood that I was the only cook there who wasn't actually trained in the culinary arts. And that was fine with me. I mean, I had a lot of basic experience, things I taught myself and things I learned at other restaurants. And I'm sure I was quite annoying asking lots of questions. But I learned and I got better. But all of my coworkers, those who were classically trained, all had a collection of knives, nice, sharp, comfortable knives. I could use the restaurant knives, but they were never that sharp. They were a lower grade steel, so they didn't hold their edge very well. And they weren't the most comfortable knives. And if you're sitting there cutting hard carrots, 
a lot of hard carrots, it starts to hurt your hand after a while. But I got lucky. On Black Friday, there was a 200-something dollar knife marked down for about 65 bucks. I was happy. I jumped on it. But now I had this beautiful, sharp knife. It was comfortable to hold, the right size for the work I needed, but I didn't know how to care for it. I knew I couldn't run it through a dishwasher, and I had a hand sharpener, but for a knife like this, I really wanted to be able to treat it right. So I went to my, my coworkers who are classically trained, and I got myself a, a whetstone, and I learned how to sharpen it. Sharp knives are important. They're a lot easier to use. They're a lot more comfortable. And most importantly, you're a lot less likely to cut yourself with a sharp knife because it does what you ask it to. It doesn't slip and hit you and hurt you. Now, the thing is, is I take really good care of my chef's knife. It gets a regular sharpening after it gets used. So it doesn't need much work. See, I always keep it nice and careful. But my satanku is always dull, because I use this knife a lot more. And I thought about sharpening it here today, but I didn't know how that would sound on the uh, microphone, so I decided I, I shouldn't. I like my satanku. They're a gift of my father-in-law, and they, it's called a sheath's foot blade. It's got a curved spine and a flat edge, perfect for chopping, and I use it a lot. But the thing is, is it wears down. Pressing it through tomatoes, carrots, chicken breast, and into the wood or plastic of my cutting board wears down the edge. Sure, I could use my honing iron and strike it across and push the edge back into place, but that only works for so long. Inevitably, I have to grab the stone and push and work it with the stone. Our faith is like that. Our faith is a tool. You know, tools are things that get us through problems, allow us to do work. You can't cut a piece of chicken with your hands. It's just impossible. I mean, yes, you could karate chop it, but it's not going to split into two nice pieces. You end up with a piece of flat chicken and hot chicken oil on your hand. No, you need a tool a tool to help you cope with the problem. Our faith help us cope with the problems of the world. Sometimes we need towels and tongs because they keep us from burning ourselves. Like when Jesus tells people while he's standing on the mount to find those they are in conflict with and to address the problem and make it right, thereby being, avoid being burned. Sometimes the situation calls for something as simple as a spoon. A spoon to gently add just a little bit of your faith here and there to make a dish more palatable, to make it taste right. Sometimes it calls for a knife. Think of John the Baptist 
cutting through all the baloney. The tools wear out. They get dirty. Blades dull, springs wear, stove burners inevitably get covered in carbon and have to be scrubbed, and freezers and fridges will inevitably break down at the wrong moment. Our faith, our spiritual life is the same. Sometimes it's damaged by being hit by something unexpected, a tragedy, hard news, like chipping a blade on an unknown bit of bone in the meat. Other times it's just worn down by constant use, just trying to get us through every single day. Watching the news this week wore me down a lot. It wore down my faith. Watching the names, calling, the anger, the finger pointing, the violence and the violation. I found myself mindlessly scrolling through the news and social media, looking for, trying to find some bit of hope. For the most part, I just found a firestorm of anger, self-righteousness, some justified, and some not. I actually picked the title for this sermon, what I was going to talk about Wednesday morning before everything. But I found it difficult to write much as news bulletin after news bulletin popped onto my screen into the corner. I wonder if that's why we didn't hear back from Timothy in this letter. This, this is the second letter to Timothy. This is if, probably the penultimate letter of Paul's. Titus is the only one that may have followed. Paul's ministry coming to a close, and he's ready for it. Paul doesn't fear death. He welcomes it as a doorway into the eternal life with Jesus. He states this over and over again in the letters. But he always says, I need to continue to struggle, to live, because God's not done with me yet. I need to still spread the gospel, and he does so with love and joy. But at this point in 2 Timothy, Paul's quite frank about his impending early, earthly end. He's like a knife that has been sharpened so many times that it's little more than a nub on a handle. And so he passes on his mission to others. And here, specifically, Timothy. Timothy had been by Paul's side quite a lot. He had traveled all over Greece and Macedonia with them. He would eventually be left in Ephesus by Paul to lead that church, the church that would become the most powerful church of its day. Paul would even say in Philippians, of Timothy, I have no one else like him. It isn't strange that he would want to turn, he would want to warn his old friend and protege of the shape of the world, that it would slowly but inevitably turn from the gospel to a word that better suited its taste. Paul warns him to keep sharpening himself, not to allow himself to become dull, but rather to be a world changer. I think 
days like this last week. I think of days in my own life. I think of days in our collective lives and how it can be hard to respond afterwards, to know the right words, to know what the right thing is to do. I'm not surprised we don't hear back from Timothy. He's got a lot of hard work in front of him, hard work that will lead him in his own path to jail, to prison, even death by stoning. But he does stay sharp. He continues to push. How do we do that? How do we stay sharp? Now, I remember when I was really little, about four-ish. It's one of my few memories from those days. But we had gone, I think it was, to a lake house with my mom and dad's best friends, Bill and Julie. I'm not sure if Bill was a carpenter or not. I don't really recall, but I know he, he kept work tools in his truck with him. And somehow, as a four-ish year old, I managed to get hold of a hacksaw. And when my dad found me, he found me leaning down next to one of the stones that lined the path, trying to cut it in half with the hacksaw. Looking as a parent now, I think my dad was more upset because he was afraid I was going to hurt myself with the hacksaw. But what I remember then is he was really upset because I was ruining the hacksaw. I was dulling the blade, trying to press it through stone. I feel like that with my faith some days. It's being dulled, trying to press into the stone of the world. Like I'm not getting anywhere. I'm leaving scratches on the surface that will simply fade with time. Then I remember Jesus. Three years. Three years, God took on human life and lived among us to set us straight on the pathway to the kingdom. And even with all that power, not many people knew who Jesus was by the end of those three years. He struggled. He would go back, retreat into the mountainside, into the wilderness to pray, to rest, and then come back with burning passion. Peter seems to take after Jesus. We see him going off and finding time to pray quietly to himself before he goes and works. Of course, it's different with every person. Paul's different. Paul never seems to go looking for solitude. Instead, he always goes and looks for company. He loves, he's sharpened by conversation by even arguing with others, by writing his letters. Jesus and Paul seem to represent the two different styles, the general styles of people, you know, the introverts and the extroverts, both living Christian lives. Both are extraordinarily effective overall. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to meet God, and we can see those two there being resharpened. But all these paths all seem to rest on three tools, three kinds of whetstones. You know, the thing with whetstones, they're rough. They're hard on you. They force 
the steel to change because they are ungiving. We have those two. Scripture, prayer, worship. Jesus and Paul were, of course, from days where one didn't just simply carry around Scripture with them. They had memorized the Hebrew Scriptures. They meditated daily on their words. They argued at meaning with others. They quoted extensively. Both men prayed. Jesus going out into the wilderness and finding a quiet spot to just be with God. Paul finding groups to worship and pray with. And they both worshiped God. Jesus doing it more so in his preaching and teaching and work. And Paul doing so with that and also gathering with worship time for others. It's not that different with us. We all have to find our ways to be resharpened. There was one story that popped up on my Thursday news. My aunt shared it with me that made me smile. I don't know much about Representative Andy Kim, except that he runs the district that my in-laws live in, or he's the representative for the district my in-laws live in. I don't know if he's Christian or not. But I saw this image of him on his knees in the Capitol room, the main rotunda, cleaning. He didn't have to do that. He's a representative. That wasn't his job. But I saw a picture of a servant leader in that moment. The photograph wasn't staged. He was just doing it, and some reporter happened to go through at that moment. A candid shot. See, the thing about being sharpened by God is that a tool is only as useful as it's being used. Whether it's sharp or dull, a knife is only good for being a knife when it's out of the knife block and when it's separating food from itself. It's no good being sharpened and put back into the block. It doesn't do you any good. It's just a piece of metal with a handle on it. You know, this knife stays nice because I don't use it as much. But the shame of that is, it's a lot less useful to me then. We are people, but we are also tools, God's tools. Just like Noah, just like Jonah, just like Abraham, just like Paul. Tools that are meant to be of use. We're not perfect. I mean, that's why I think of, of Jonah. Jonah was by no means a perfect tool. Samson was by no means a perfect tool. But they did God's work as best as they could, and we remember them for that. We, too, are called to do the work, whatever that exactly means. To go back and dive ourselves into the Bible, to come together and worship, to continue our prayers with one another and on our own, to be sharpened by the Spirit, to do the work that God has for us.
I don't know what that means in these days. I don't know what that means when there's so much dissension, arguing, heartache. But I try my best, and I call on everyone to try their best to walk the path that Jesus called you to. And you know what? A sharp knife, and I hope this works right, does its job well. Aye, aye, aye. Leaves a nice, clean cut. It's nice to be that sharp. But even those who do their best can still cut, can still do the job. But you still have to sharpen it to get to even that point. So continue. Keep praying. Keep worshiping. Keep reading. Be seasoned both in season and out of season. The world will always pull back to what's easy. Jesus doesn't call us to what's easy. Jesus calls us to what is right. So hone yourself against God and keep sharp. Let us go out with new edges, sharp edges. One of the things that they teach you over and over again in seminary is to look for where your growing edges are, those sharp bits that poke at you, that hurt. Discover where God is leading you with them. So explore those sharp edges. Where is God cutting you? Where is God asking you to cut at? To be called to be the tool of God. Amen.